entire chapter is about Jesus coming back and last things. Beginning in verse 10, it says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. On that day, the heavens will pass away with a loud noise. The elements will burn and be dissolved, and the earth and the works on it will be disclosed. Since all these things are going to be destroyed in this way, it is clear what sort of people you should be in holy conduct and godliness as you wait for and earnestly desire the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be on fire and be dissolved and the elements will melt with heat. But based on his promise, we wait for a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness will dwell. Well, this is an election year, and so all of us are being bombarded from every direction with political issues. Every issue is important. I've got several of them up there on the slide. They're all important. There's probably other ones, but those are the ones that I remembered and put on, put on there for us to look at and consider. And so let me ask you, is one issue more important than another? Or are they all the same? Are they all equal? Or is one more important? If one of them is more important than the other, what makes it more important? Who decides that? Is an issue the most important because it's the most important to you? Is that what makes it the most important issue? Or is an issue just inherently more important? If we all had a piece of paper and a pen and I asked you all to write down which one of these was the most important, I doubt if we'd all be in agreement. Why is that? If one is the most important, then that means that those issues can be ranked by an order of importance. There's about 20 of them up there. So let's all rank them by importance and then compare. Are they going to be the same? Are we all going to be in agreement about those 20 issues? I doubt if we'd be in agreement about the very first one. So we have to ask ourselves, why is that? Because we're all supposed to be Christians. We're all supposed to be thinking about things as Christians. So why are we in disagreement? And don't worry, I'm not trying to tell you how to vote. Our objective this morning is to ask ourselves if we are approaching these issues with a biblical worldview. It seems like such a long time ago, but at the beginning of the year, we went through this study on Wednesday night. Rick Warren and Chuck Colson walked us through what a worldview actually is and how it's an absolute necessity for a Christian to have a biblical worldview. Not just on political issues, but your life as a whole. How you see the world, how you see this nation, the objectives of this nation, the political issues, but how you see yourself at work, 
how you see yourself at home, and the relationships that you have. It is critical for a believer to have a biblical worldview in life. Well, uh, this past week has, uh, there's been, uh, there's wildfires in several states and a hurricane. And so uh, these events brought one of those issues to the forefront, which of course is climate change and global warming. This is Nancy Pelosi. She's the House Speaker. She is the state representative for California's 12th district. That's all that entire district uh, is within the city limits of San Francisco. And uh, uh, last Friday, which was September 11th, we remember that. On September 11th, she said the Mother Earth is angry. She's telling us. Whether she's telling us with hurricanes on the Gulf Coast, fires in the West, whatever it is, that the climate crisis is real and has an impact. And so she was basically blaming the hurricane and the wildfires on global warming. The president visited California. On Monday, he was in Sacramento. And he was speaking with several people, but among others was the governor of California, Gavin Newsom. He said, we come from a perspective, Mr. President, humbly, where we submit the sciences in and observed evidence is self-evident that climate change is real. And we feel very strongly that the hots are getting hotter, the dry spells are getting drier, something has happened to the plumbing of the world. So the governor of California was not blaming lightning or arson or reckless campers, he was blaming global warming for the wildfires. Well, what is global warming? We hear about it, climate change, the Green New Deal, we hear about this all the time. What is global warming? Global warming is a theory. It is the theory that the world is getting hotter. But that theory cannot be proven because we do not have a baseline. In other words, we do not have an accurate weather, uh, we do not have an accurate record of the weather globally that dates from today back into antiquity. So we're not able to say that what's happening right now and compare it with what the weather was like 500 years ago. We're not able to say that uh, this is what's happening now and compare it with the weather globally a thousand years ago. We can't do that because we don't have a baseline. And we know that there were volcanoes and earthquakes and floods and stuff, but to just have an accurate, detailed, global record that dates back into antiquity, we don't have it. And so we don't have this baseline that we, we actually need in order to prove or disprove climate change. Now, uh, we can say that over the past hundred years that the weather has gotten about one degrees hotter. It has. Over the past hundred years. But to make any conclusions on that, beyond that, is moving into guesswork. It's conjecture. It might be educated guesses, but it is guesswork because it's not something that we can prove scientifically. 
Are we in church on Sunday morning? All right, just bear with me. I'm going somewhere. Now we may have our suspicions. Ice caps are melting, the, the deserts seem hotter, the winters seem warmer, but we just can't prove it because we don't have the baseline. And so if enough time passes where we can actually establish this baseline, the concern is, is that it's going to be too late. You all know who Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is. She's the state representative in New York. And in January of last year, she was, uh, of course we know she's a proponent of the Green New Deal. And in, in near hysteria, she said, the world is going to end in 12 years if we do not address climate change. So she is, she is blaming us for climate change. She's blaming people for global warming. The basic argument is that um, the way we use fossil fuels, it gives off emissions, that's polluting the air, uh, deforestation, these kind of things are contributing to climate change. And these are things that we're actually doing. Well, the Democrats say it's real. The Republicans say it's not. Republicans say it's a hoax. Well, obviously, when you smoke a cigarette and you pull that smoke into your lungs, you're doing something bad to your lungs. Obviously, that's true. We all know that. Obviously, if we pollute the air, that's not good for the air. So it has to be a contributing factor. It absolutely has to be. Whether we can prove it in a science lab or not, it's got to be a contributing factor. But if you're an advocate of the environmental argument, then you're going to capitalize on that while you minimize what we all know is the primary culprit for climate change, and that is the sun. You know, uh, the things that are happening on the sun have a direct impact on our planet in a huge way. When there's sunspots, for example, that causes the ocean waters to get warmer, and there's evaporation and carbon dioxide. And so there's no comparison, really, between the activities of us and our, our contributions to this problem with solar activity, they pale in comparison. That's just the truth. That's just all there is to it. There's really no debate about it. It's just a fact. It's not saying that what we are doing is not bad or contributing to the problem. But one is much bigger than the other. You have to be able to see that if you're going to be approaching this with honesty. And so I'm asking us this morning if we are going to approach these political issues with a biblical worldview as a church. Well, here's the debate. The debate is this. Can our nation adopt good environmental policies? that help to reduce our part in global warming and still remain competitive in the global economy. That is the debate. You know, America does not deal from a position of weakness. 
All of us that are alive today, we don't know what that's like to be living in a nation that is dealing with other nations from a position of weakness. We don't do that. We're number one. But it's important for us to remember that other nations are not in the same boat. When they deal with us, when they deal with other nations, they're dealing from a position of weakness. And so if we champion environmental causes and policies, they're going to applaud it. Because while we're sinking, they're rising. It gives them an opportunity to catch up. And so that's one reason our administration pulled out of the Paris Climate Accord. That's why they began doing that this last year. Well, what does all this have to do with us on Sunday morning? Actually, quite a bit. Because I've asked us to ask ourselves if we are thinking about climate change or abortion or the national debt, any of these political issues, are we approaching it from a biblical worldview? Well, God has given us three facts. There might be more, but He has definitely given us three facts, three very basic facts in the Bible that should help us to have a biblical worldview when it comes to the environment. The first one is stewardship. God is not part of the creation. He is distinct from the creation. He created it. And He owns it. God's the owner of all things. He's sovereign over all things. But from the very beginning, He entrusted the creation to us. Psalm 24, 1. The earth and everything in it, the world and its inhabitants, belong to the Lord. But like I said, He has placed us under our authority. In Genesis 1, 28, He tells us to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Now, subduing the earth, having dominion over it, that, that, that implies and means responsibility and accountability. It's not a license It's not a license for us to uh, pillage and abuse. We're caretakers for God. Do you realize that God actually take, take, has taken the creation and placed it under our authority? That this is part of our stewardship? Do you guys know what a stewardship is? We've talked about this. The Bible's chock full of it. Who you are, the things that God has given you, your talents, your abilities, your money, your time, all of these things are your stewardship. And God's going to hold each one of us accountable for how we managed it. Well, part of our stewardship is the creation. God does not expect us to, to leave it all pristine, but to actually use it, but to use it responsibly. And so taking care of it responsibly uh, is easier said than done. Because it brings up the second point, which is that there are some things that are just beyond our control. Did that change? There we go. The second point is that there is a broken harmony. When Adam sinned, everything that was subjected to him 
including himself, all of his descendants, Romans 5.12, and all of the creation fell underneath the sin, the curse of sin and death. God told Adam, the ground is cursed because of you. This is why we die. This is why animals die. This is why plants die. All of creation is under the curse of sin and death. When man sinned, harmony between man and God was disrupted. There's still a relationship between God and man. All people. Not just people that, aren't, that are Christians. But all people. All people have a relationship with God. It's just not a good one. And that's why we need Jesus to have our relationship with God reconciled. But when man sinned, that harmony with God was disrupted. And when man sinned, that harmony between man and creation was disrupted too. We can, we can make a car. You know, we can, we can build cars. And they're so nice. And we drive them around. But think of all of the things that went into making that car. All of the industrial pollution. The conflicts that it causes between nations and men. On 9-11, we watched those incredible skyscrapers fall. Something incredible that man had built. But as it fell, jet fuel and mercury and lead and pulverized glass and pulverized steel and asbestos went out into the air and everyone was inhaling it. You and I both know that those people who were rescuers at that time are today dying of all kinds of exotic cancers. When we think about the environment, you guys, we, we have to remember that God did place us under our control, but when we sinned, we messed it up. And so now, even in our best efforts, we fail because that harmony with creation is disrupted. And no one is more aware of it than the creation. Romans 8.22 says that the creation is groaning with labor pains. Labor pains is something that precedes birth. And so it is eagerly awaiting with anticipation for the future day when God will restore all things with a new heaven and a new earth. But not right now. Right now the earth and the creation is groaning under the curse of sin and death. It's very important for us to realize that the earth has been in a state of decay since the fall. It's like entropy. Things that are in a, a state of order tend to go to a state of disorder. It is a constant, hopeless, doomed future for this creation unless God intervenes. And that brings us to our final point there is that this, this world that we're living in right now is not the final chapter. And see, that's the, that's the biggest problem with today's environmental movement. Because they are so concerned with saving this dying planet to avoid extinction. What a miserable, miserable worldview. That this is all there is. If we don't do something and save our planet, we're all doomed. Man is going to be extinct. 
We're going to be like Mars. What a miserable, horrible worldview. Genesis 8.22 tells us that as long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, and day and night will not cease. The ice caps are not going to flood and melt the world. We know this because of God's promise. There's a symbol of that promise. It's called a rainbow. The creation is not fragile. It's not being held together by chance. On Wednesday night, we studied Psalms 93.1. God holds all things together. God is in control. Amen. And nothing's going to happen until He says it's time. That verse we studied was, The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed, enveloped in strength. The world is firmly established. It cannot be shaken. That's telling us that there's no person, no set of circumstances that are going to be able to shake His control. The way things are right now are going to continue until they have fulfilled His purpose. But we need to know, and we read it in the Bible in 2 Peter, that this is not home forever. This is a dying planet. It is a dying creation. And just, just like you and I are dying... So is the creation. You know, years ago, my family and I went for a walk when we first moved to Cincinnati along the Ohio River. We were in Sawyer Point. We didn't know it, but April 22nd was Earth Day. And they gave us uh, some little trees that we took home and planted in our yard. But the people who were giving out the little trees, they did it with such passion and fervency. It was obvious that this was part of a cause. The environmental atheist has nowhere to turn to but himself. This is a big problem. It's up to us to try to solve it. The religious environmentalists, what do they do? They turn to Mother Earth to try to hear wisdom from her spirit. No, it's ridiculous. Because the Bible tells us that the creation points us to God. And it, the Christian seeks his wisdom from God. Christians do. No matter how much time or effort we put into saving this planet, the problem is too big. It's actually just going to continue to get worse. Because man cannot fix sin. If you understand Jesus dying on the cross for your sins and how you can't do anything to pay for your sins, you can't fix that problem, it translates to this too. It's the same fact that man can't fix sin. We studied the Olivet Discourse not too long ago, and in that, Jesus taught us that Heaven and earth will pass away. This is temporary. But it's not going to pass away with water. It's going to pass away with fire. 
Isaiah 34:4. All the heavenly bodies will dissolve. The skies will roll up like a scroll, and their stars will all wither as leaves wither on the vine and foliage on the fig trees. You ever thrown a styrofoam cup in the fire? You ever seen a leaf turn up like that from the fire before it starts to burn? This is what the verse is telling us. All the heavenly bodies will dissolve. The skies will be rolled up like a scroll. And their stars will all wither as leaves wither on the vine. And the same way foliage on the fig tree in the fall. Let's read our passage one more time beginning in verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. On that day the heavens will pass away with a loud noise. The elements will burn and be dissolved, and the earth and the works on it will be disclosed. Since all these things are going to be destroyed this way, it is clear what sort of people you should be in holy conduct and godliness as you wait for and earnestly desire the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be on fire and be dissolved, and the elements will melt with the heat. But based on His promise, we wait for new heavens and a new earth where righteousness will dwell. You know, only God can fully appreciate the extent sin has contaminated the creation. My son-in-law works for NASA, and he talks about how space debris, the trash that's circling the globe, is a huge problem. Everything they're trying to do is battling this fact that there's all of this garbage circling the planet. And you'd be a very rich man if you could figure out a way to get it out of there and clean it. Only God can appreciate the extent that sin has contaminated the creation. Well, we just read a a horror story about the planet and everything in it and the universe being burned up with fire. Well, when is all this going to happen? Well, if you have your Bible open, I'm going to ask you to just turn to one more place over to Revelation chapter 20. It's just to the right a little bit. Don't go too far or the book's over. <laughs> the chronology of end time events in the book of Revelation is very clear. It's not complicated. It's not very difficult. If you'll just read it through like you'd read anything else, it's pretty clear and simple. In chapter 19, Jesus returns. In chapter 20, there's a millennial reign. And that millennial reign ends with a final rebellion, which God puts down. And then Satan is confined in the lake of fire. And then after that is the great white throne of judgment. That occurs in heaven. Verse 15. The verses right before it. But it is after this final judgment that God refashions the new heaven and the new earth. That's on chapter 21. Look at verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. You know, Bible prophecy is not 
designed or meant to lead people into speculation. The purpose is to motivate us. Think about what Peter said. He said, since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, it is clear what sort of people we should be. Holy, godly, earnestly desiring the future restoration of all things. So if all of this considered, <laughs> what is our biblical worldview about the environment? What have we learned or what have we been reminded of this morning? We found out that God placed the creation under the authority of man. Man's messed it up. And so the way things are today can't go on forever. God's going to bring it all to a close. He's going to start it over. Some of us are going to get to be a part of that. Those of us who have accepted Christ. The others are going to stand before that great white throne of judgment. The second death. Verse 15 says, And anyone's name that was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Bible prophecy is supposed to motivate us, you guys. So my first point, and I've only got two, and they're very short, is that we are supposed to be good stewards. Good stewards in every respect. And that means that we are supposed to lead by example. So Christians should be leading by example when it comes to the environment. So when you stopped at the light, you don't throw your white castle out onto the street. Or dump your ashtray in the middle of the street. You ever seen anybody do that? Walk down the sidewalk, throw in the trash. That should not ever be something that you see a Christian doing. We're supposed to lead by example. But these things have to have balance. There has to be balance. As Christians, we should appreciate what it is that God has actually been doing with America over these past hundred, couple of hundred years. He has used the United States as a kind of firewall to keep things locked in for the furtherance of the gospel. If you removed America from its position, there would be a vacuum and who would fill it? China? Is that a Christian nation? Russia? Is that a Christian nation? Iran? North Korea? Europe? Europe used to be. We're headed now where Europe is now. Post-Christian. So you can see the role that the United States is playing. It's like a dam holding back the water. God is using us, our liberty and our strength, for the furtherance of the gospel. So this debate we have about being a good environmentalist and remaining a competitor in the global economy are real issues that we have to balance. 
but not because we want Americans to be number one, we're the greatest, because we care about the Great Commission, the furtherance of the Gospel. And that's the point number two. On a daily basis, we talk to people that are unbelievers. The environment is fertile ground for sharing our faith. Because the broken harmony with creation helps us to explain and maybe helps them to see the broken harmony that we have with God. It's a pretty cool picture. The broken harmony we have with God, the broken harmony we have with our creation. So let's pray.